man. Mr. Mutsepe, how are you? Ata, I feel like you were so busy introducing me. Um, no, I know, but we didn't. I didn't want them. I wanted them to put a face to the name, so I was waiting for you to enter. But it's so <laughs> cold, and I can see you freezing where you are as well. You've even got yeah, your. Yeah, no, listen here. I'm looking quite scruffy. If I if I may add, I just want to connect you quickly. I'm looking quite scruffy, and I thought, no, let me actually put on a shirt just for you. Um, because my hair's too stuff, oh, wow. and everything else is too stuff. So, yeah, <laughs> Listen, it's a, it's a bit of a challenge at the moment. <laughs> I think we're all looking a bit too stuff, to be honest, and feeling it as well. But you know we... what? Tough people last. Tough moments don't. We on on by it. We move. No, we 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 absolutely have to. And uh, how does that guy end off that quotation? Uh, tough times, tough times never last. Tough people do, absolutely. or something like that. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But we absolutely. are motivated. We are inspired, and we are here. Absolutely. I'm not going to take up a lot of time because I really know that you're the man of the moment, and you have all of this knowledge that I'm so I'm so blessed to be able to tap into at any time. But I do know that our listeners are eagerly awaiting, so I'm just going to do a short introduction, and then I'll fire away with some questions. So, as I said, ladies and gents, uh, Lester Mutsepe is a communication and brand strategist, and has spent time in this space. Um, in the government arena for the last 15 years, which is a heck of a long time. So you can only understand that he's, you know, he's quite um, quite well versed in what he's doing. Um, and then, um, you know, he's he's um, he's also a scholar of psychology, psychology and politics at the moment, and in, international relations, which is so phenomenal. So he's exactly very well versed around um, the, you know, the the matters of our freedom and where we've how far we've come in the last 26 years etc and then i'm very very proud to say this that in 2019 leston was recognized by the mailing guardian um as one of the top 200 um south africans and the category that he was categorized in was in politics and government governance um and he's also um A alumni from the A Political Academy, um, and now you can only understand that he's obviously the best person to have this conversation with. Okay, um, <laughs> and you know what? My friend does a lot in the communities. Like, you know, whenever I'm, I'm, I watch him. I hear, you know, we talk. He's always mentoring a boy child. He's involved in juvenile, um, um, you know, a detention and all of those types. So he's really trying his best to do what he can to transform. South Africa and beyond. Um, so, Lestem, thank you so much for joining us this evening. I know we're in for a hell of a treat, so I don't want to waste any more time. But please just say hi to our guests and tell um, them some things that I didn't know about you. Tell them that. <laughs> well, what an introduction. Let me first start there. Um, and you've also kind of set up the, the the bar a bit high for me there. Um, but I'm hoping I will be able to fulfil. Um, something about me that people don't know is that I was originally born in the States, um, in the free state. Uh, that's right next door to Gauteng, for those that don't know. Uh, so I'm a bit of a, a farm boy um, in terms of the agricultural life that I was exposed to. Um, but what a lot of people also don't know is that I also come from a community called Reja Park as well. Um, and that's the community where, um, you know, I grew up in. We first lived in the flats. So I do come from these impoverished communities. Um, and I think I want to add that as a disclaimer because that also kind of really influenced my understanding of freedom specifically. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's where I'm from. So I do have a lived experience uh, when it comes to the social economic challenges that our communities experience every single day. Um, I'm not from the north. I'm not a north kid. Right. Um, I'm straight up from the township. And uh, yeah. I think I think uh, that's pretty much it about me. I don't know if you want to know if my favorite color and those type of things as well, but well, um, yeah. I'm, I'm sure you'll expect some DMs after this guy. I'm not even <laughs> <laughs> expect the DMs to flow, but we'll we we'll leave that for the DMs. So let's get right into it, Leston. We're talking about freedom, and you know we're 26 years into mm. our democracy. In South Africa, we've, we're in Freedom Month. We just celebrated Freedom Day on the 27th. But what does freedom really mean? What is it? What is it to you? Have we achieved freedom? Have we not? You know, um, 
What is sure. it? It's a word that we use every day, but let's unpack that word. Um, freedom, sure. Um, I think freedom means um, many things to different people. You know, it's, 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 it's quite subjective. And I think it also depends on your social position within the South African and African context. And I think why I specifically mention the South African and the African context is because you need to understand freedom across the social, political and economic landscape of Africa specifically. You know, I know obviously we're speaking about Freedom Day that took, past, that, that, that took place recently, but we, we cannot discuss freedom without basically having an inclusive conversation that extends to our neighboring countries, you know, whether in the sub-Saharan African region, whether the Francophone countries, whether the entire SADC region. The point is that we all have a similar shared experience of what freedom really, really means in our country. And like I'm saying, it's quite subjective and we have different interpretations of freedom for that matter. Um, I remember, when was it? Uh, 1995, Standard 3. Um, I was quite excited. Um, I was coming from a Afrikaans school, Afrikaans primary school, because that's my first language. Um, and then I got moved or got integrated into an English school. Now, the little bit of English that I knew, I knew from watching Days of Our Lives and Bold and the Beautiful. You know, I, I, I learned TV on English. I mean, I learned English on TV. But, um, and, I, and, and obviously, you know, we come from the township and life was pretty grand. You know, we really had an amazing time in the township and we really didn't have any challenges. But I think the moment I started, my dad moved us into a Model C school. You know, I got moved into an English school. And I remember the teacher asked us to come to the front and obviously speak about our school holidays. And I remember that I went up and I spoke about normal things to do in Ekasi every single day, play soccer, play marbles. You know, the day-to-day -day things that were getting your face dusty, especially after you've had Vaseline, um, you know, put on. Um, and then I remember I went up and I spoke about these everyday things. And then uh, my friend uh, Mpendulo also went up and he was from the Black Township, not too far away from us. Um, and he spoke about the normal things that they do in the township as well. And then I remember a girl by the name of Jacqueline Nick, um, uh, um, Nicholson went up and she started speaking about, well, let me, let me first start here. She, she, got, she got to the front of the class and basically started mentioning um, how, what type of holidays she had during the December period. And she said that uh, my mommy, daddy and I um, took a flight to New York and we landed at JFK, um, JFK um, airport. We then got into a limo and then I was watching Widget. And as I was watching Widget, we pulled up at the Trump Towers, etc., etc., etc. And I remember my friend Pendulo turning to me and he's like, Chief, this girl is lying there. Eh? I'm like, she's definitely lying. She's definitely <laughs> lying, Chief. Uh, in all my years, in all my years, in all my 10 years, right? In all my 10 years of being on this planet, I'd never heard anybody speak like that. I'd never heard anybody speak about the fact that they've been overseas. I'd never heard about the fact, I've never heard about anybody speaking about the fact that they got into a limo. I'd never heard of a child speaking about the fact that they got into a, a limo and watched my favorite cartoon that I was watching back then, which was Widget. I'd never heard of anybody even going to New York. So the point I'm making is that I think at that moment right there, I also realized that there were massive inequalities um, in terms of the, the, the level of freedom that I thought I had versus the level of freedom that I was able to have access to, but that was unavailable to me at that time because we were not in a, in, in, in a positive um, economic position to fit. Um, so... so Are you there? I am. I am. Okay, you perfect. broke up for a little bit, but you, you're better. No, you, that's you're fine. perfect right now. So, so all I'm saying is that I think I realized the social economic disparities that existed within our communities at that very moment right there when I was 10 years of age. And I realized that my understanding of freedom had changed because I thought that I'd now access to attend these Model C schools, schools that, were not, that I could not easily have access to previously. And now I thought I kind of made it because now I'm coming out of the township and I'm going to a school that offers obviously better education. So the point is that 
when you start realizing and start unpacking what freedom means to different people, you'll immediately start realizing that we don't all have the same um, uh, um, experience of, of what freedom really means to the context of everyday South Africans. Do we have that freedom in our context right now, Lester? As in, right, I'm listening to you speak, and I mean, I spent 90% of my time in communities, and your story is still ringing true right now. So what do you... There are still kids that, that believe that they're never, ever going to reach to go to New York, that they're never, ever going to, you know, be able to even go to a what we know as a Model C school. It's not even in their minds. It's not even a thought. What, what do you have to say about that? Have we, have we then truly, can we then really truly say we're free? You know, I was watching, I was reading a couple of the social media engagements as past Freedom Day. And obviously what a lot of media reports were saying and a lot of journalists and a lot of politicians, et cetera, et cetera. And you realize that when it comes to politicians, they basically preach the same political rhetoric every single year. And then, but when you listen to the stories from the people on the ground itself, they start speaking about things like Nochet Uhuru. You know, they speak about things like we have not achieved true emancipation. And this is the one conversation. I mean, if you've ever been to one of my talks, the one thing I do emphasize on is that democracy wasn't one so that we can be selfishly empowered. But democracy was one so that we as the liberated can emancipate the generation to follow. So we need to understand that that freedom, right? has literally been given over to us to further extend the emancipation of our freedom. Because, that. yes, again, the social economic disparities are real that. on the ground. We're facing a, what, 29% unemployment rate in this country, which could easily become worse in the next couple of months as well. We're living in a country where close to 30 million people in this country live below the poverty line. The poverty line bracket is about 900 rand per person. What can you do with 900 rand per person per month? Right. And then you have other stats as well. I was reading this insane stat the other day that spoke about um, if, 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 if you earning 7,400 rand in this country, you are in the top 10 percent highest income bracket yeah. of most South Africans. That's so right. when you sit back, you realize that we have not achieved true freedom. And I think when we speak about freedom, we really need to start categorizing it um, so, we, so we can understand exactly what freedom means to the different contexts of Africa. So, for yeah. example, we, during, during apartheid, we fought for, 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 for civil rights, or can I call it social rights, right? We fought for civil rights, you know, what, the chapter, what chapter two of the Bill of Rights represents for us in this country. You know, the right to education, the right to, to freedom, the right to freedom of expression, the right to believe, the right to vote, the right to religion. Those were our every single day or our everyday civil liberties that we basically achieved. And I think that is one thing we fought for. But the problem with that is that, and, and obviously, you know, during apartheid, we were all speaking about, well, not me specifically, because I wasn't there, you know, but our people were speaking about democracy and <laughs> I, I know you were quite an activist back in the day. So, 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 so what I'm saying is that what we fought for back um, during apartheid was really for civil liberties. And I say that when you speak about freedom in the context of Africa, you really have to categorize it into civil liberties or, yeah. or, or social freedoms political freedoms as well as economic yeah. freedom. So I think I'll, I'll first start off with civil liberties. So again, Brilliant. we fought for civil liberties, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But the problem with um, fighting for civil liberties is that has, has almost become the mantra of how we see uh, freedom in this country. And we kind of benchmark it from 1994. And we speak about things like, oh, no, we are still experiencing a young democracy. We will get there. Change takes time to achieve, et cetera, et cetera. What we need to understand as South Africans is that we kind of jumped on the bandwagon a little bit later when it came to us fighting for our sovereignty as well as our independence. Correct. The Correct. rest of Africa, right, from guys like Patrice Lumumba, from guys like Kwame Krumah, they were yeah. all already, and most African countries, or, few, or, or quite, quite a few African countries, were already experiencing um, 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 independence. Yeah. We only received independence in 1994. And then yeah. slow from there, it was a progressive movement. And obviously, we're happy because now we've achieved democracy. I was listening to one of my 
can I call him a professional acquaintance of mine in one of his talks the other day. And he said, and, 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 he, quoted, um, and he quoted this, he said that when you start your history with slavery, anything you achieve post that looks like progress. Yeah. So I sit back and I ask myself that we had really come out of slavery. What exactly were we celebrating in 1994? You know, because now it's almost like we're saying that our civil liberties was the benchmark of, yeah. of, of who we are as a people. But what we don't understand is that there were far greater conversations that people were having on the ground around economic freedom. You know, we see the conversation around land in this everyday society as well. But it's fine. I will get to economic freedom. So, yeah. again, civil liberties are amazing. Yeah. Democracy yeah. is an amazing system as yeah. well. It really promotes the rights of the individual itself. Right. And then, obviously, we then look at political freedoms. So when we speak about political freedom in South Africa, well, in Africa, we are really speaking about liberation politics at the end of the day. We have yeah. entrusted our freedom with our leaders. We have entrusted our freedom with, with a political ideology. Because what is politics? Politics is just an ideology. Let us, let, let us play a fair game around that. We, Africa's problem is that we experience liberation politics and we put all our trust into our leaders when it comes to defending our civil li everyday um, uh, civil liberties. And we've seen this throughout Africa. We've seen this yeah. with ANC. We've seen this with SWAPU. We've seen this with ZANU-PF. We've seen it with Mozambique. The point, the point is that we have entrusted so much of our civil liberties to our political leaders that we're kind of getting lost in the trap of liberation politics. Every five years, we elect to regret again. We elect a new party to regret again. Obama yeah. once said that the problem with democracy is, is, is not the fact that it's not working. The problem with democracy is the fact that we don't, our democratic institutions are not keeping our leaders accountable. That's why people hold on to power for so long. We have African leaders that are 65 and up. I mean, in our last, in our last national government elections, everybody except for Dr. William Kizzi, who was, yeah. I think he's about, say, 63 or 60-something at the time, he was probably the youngest presidential candidate or candidate at that point in time. Yeah. So what I'm yeah. saying is that Cyril was obviously old, NDZ was obviously much older as yeah. well. And, and you see that throughout Africa. So yesterday we were celebrating uh, Kenneth Kaunda's birthday. And obviously yes. I saw all the messages coming from all the great African leaders as well. Yeah. And when I look at my African leaders, I really say, but you guys have been around since the dawn of time. You know, when are you going to basically create opportunity for young people to feel liberated, to feel empowered, and also to know that you, you can basically start empowering young people to lead the organization. Let us not get trapped in the psychology of liberation politics in Africa is the only thing that will emancipate our people. Never. Liberation politics, I feel that it has played its role, but I think the world is evolving and, and moving so fast that we need new ideas to come to, to the table. Right. Yeah. And, 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 and then last point um, around economic freedom. So my thing is with economic freedom is that, well, well just on, to touch on political freedom again, the big problem with also political freedom within the African context is the bureaucracy that surrounds um, liberation movements in this, on this continent as well. So they kind of play on the emotions of people and they kind of get lost in the bureaucracy. And it, within yes. the ANC government, as an example, within the DA party political system, you've seen the factionalism that exists within these parties. So, so, so you don't have the right leaders in place because they get lost around the, the party politics of, part of, 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 of liberation struggles. The, last, the, 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 the third categorization around understanding freedom is really about economic freedom, which is one thing I think we all can resonate with. You see, I, I, work, I, work, I work in the government space and I work a lot with the communities on the ground itself. And these are every single day um, experiences that our communities face as well. And yes, we can speak about the, our great institution. We can speak about... Um, 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 we can speak about the civil liberties that our people have achieved and the individual rights that every single South, South African citizen has at the moment. The problem with that is that when we have conversations with these communities and we sit down with them, they ask us to say, but I, I, hear, I hear your constitution and I hear the rights that I have as an individual, but, but can I eat the constitution? Can the constitution feed me? And I think these are the real challenges on the ground Absolutely. itself is that 
unfortunately, and, and, and let me be frank about this, is that, and please don't, don't, don't cast me out as a communist or a socialist or anything along those lines, but it's just be opening up the conversation around economic freedom. The problem with democracy is that it's closely linked to capitalism. You cannot have one without the other. In actual fact, um, 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 democracy is almost obfuscated by, by capitalism, yeah. right? Yeah. Because capitalism promotes the rights of the individual. A capitalist yeah. society says that you can achieve anything that you want to achieve um, because the market, you know, like Adam Smith said, the invisible hand, uh, the less fair approach to how capitalism runs the world, basically it says that if you have access to the market, you can basically achieve and become anything you want. Absolutely. I was watching a YouTube video once of this gentleman. He had basically a race, and in the race he had, it was just a 100-meter race of sort, and he had lined up all the participants of the race itself, different race groups, and he said the first person to make it to the end of the, end of the whatever, or at a specific point, will obviously then um, uh, win the race. But in the race itself, he said that if you come from a broken family or single-parent household, please step um, 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 if, if you don't come oh, from a single parent household, I take a step that. forward. Yeah. You know, if you, if you come from a wealthy family or yeah. high up, upper middle class family, take a step forward, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So it kind of shows that even though people have got rights, rights gives you access to the university. Yeah. But it rights, but capitalism, you see, democracy gives you access to the university, but, capital, but it requires funds to, for you to partake in the Absolutely. rights that, is, that you can exercise through the constitution itself. Yeah. So again, these are the social disparities that exist, socioeconomic disparities that exist within our communities that our people have got rights. We've got our rights through freedom. We've got our rights through the constitution specifically. But the biggest challenge is that we do not have access to the market. And if you don't have access to the market, what is the right to attend a Model C school or private school mean or any university mean to you when you don't even have enough money to survive up until next week? So again, there are real conversations we need to have around civil liberties, political freedom, and our political parties that represent us, as well as economic freedom in the African context. Yeah. Thank you, Liston. I mean, you've touched on so much, and I think you, and you know my you know, my, my gripe and my, you know, my, my passion that I live every single day of my life in terms of reversing that psychology of we Good. need to be in a certain space in order for us to be getting a good education. You have to, mm. that, that nonsense must come to an end. We must, you know, rights for me is that wherever you are, whether you're in the state schooling facility or whether you're in, you know, a rural hut where they have mm. these um, rural schools and all of that. Your education level needs to be, that is right for me. But what mm. has happened when post-1994 is that the psychology of the, of the South African is that I'm only acceptable or it's only acceptable when I'm at that school or whatever. So it was making that so sexy that we think these days living in the Reicher Parks, the Sowetos and all of that mm. is not cool. When in mm. actual fact, it's damn cool, right? Because Super you're in cool. your community, you're in, you're, and, and we need to bring that psychology back to people to say, yes. you don't have the right to go to Michael House in the, the Midlands in Durban, but you have the right to an excellent education. And Correct. an excellent education can be given to you right here in your community, on your doorstep. You don't have to leave. The same thing happened with property. We aspired. We thought that when, you know, when, when and that comes back to economic inclusion. Yes. When we thought that the day, you know, 1994, when we could all vote. I mean, I remember it. I was very fortunate. I'm, yes. I, was, I turned 18 a month before we could vote. So I stood mm. in that queue and it was, it was the most intense. I could honestly say the 27th of April is probably one of the most emotional days for me because we fought, right? We were in matric. We, we had skipped a year. We missed mm. out a year because of riots and all of those. Correct, yes. But yet for us, it, like, you know, it, it, it was never important for us to have to be in a certain or live in a certain area or all of those. Yet many of South Africans, that's the aspiration. 
So they also misconstrue the right of what is what is actually their right from a social impact psychology perspective. And I truly believe that is where we have failed our, uh, you know, our, our country in terms of mm. we made it so sexy that that is how things must be. We must live in the camp space. We must aspire to drive a certain car. It's not cool mm. for us to use our public system transport. It's only for a certain um, caliber or class of person. We to blame for that because we haven't Correct. taken that strides as, as government and as, and as ourselves to unsexify that. What do you have to say about that? Sure. You know, you know, it's quite a broad conversation because that, that conversation really started with your, 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 your Steve Pico, your, 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 your Thomas Sankara, um, and obviously my favorite, uh, Franz Fanon. Um, you know, these were all leaders that basically spoke about uh, the mind of the oppressed itself. You know, Steve Pico spoke, spoke very boldly about where he said that the, 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 the mind of the oppressor, right, will always be controlled by the, well, the, the, no, the mind of the oppressor will always be controlled by the oppressor as well. So he spoke about releasing those, man, uh, those mental chains, you know, that kind of hinder you from understanding the, 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 the truest and most authentic self of, of how you want to represent your identity. Now, identity is very important within the African context. And again, I'll continuously speak about within the African context. Identity is very important because as a society, we look at how we self-identify as an individual, and then we look at how we socially identify with, within the society or the environment that we grow up in. And the problem is that we were so, we were so excited about coming out of apartheid, right? But here's where I want to bring media in, in terms of how it influences the social psychology of people every single day. The only type of media that we were exposed to as South Africans, or the predominant media, was Western-influenced media. You know, whenever we, whenever we watch TV, and obviously we understand that South Africa was not exclusive in terms of the struggles that it was facing. You know, you, have this, you had the civil rights movement happening in the U.S. as well. And obviously you have a lot of uh, uh, civil rights movements happening around the world. But the point is that a lot of the media that we were exposed to always just had one, what they refer to as a, pheno, a phenotypical identity, a yeah. physical identity when it comes to how people are represented. You know, whenever we switched on the TV, it was all, always about beautiful whiteness, white sharp noses, long uh, beautiful um, Caucasian hair, etc., etc., etc. So then, what we perceived as beauty from a social psychology point of view was basically told to us by the Western world influence. You know, and speaking about the Western world influence, I just want to take the conversation to 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 the rest of Africa. I've always said this that I do believe that one of the reasons, besides the economic challenges that our people experience every single day. One of the reasons why xenophobia became so prevalent within South Africa, right? Because when you listen to people about why do you guys hate um, our brothers from other countries or the foreign nationals, et cetera, et cetera, you hear things like, no, they're coming here with their diseases. They're coming here to steal our women. They're coming here to steal our jobs. They're coming here to bring their violence and their hijacking and their drugs and whatever the case might be into our country. Where does that thinking come from? You know, if you if you look at how the media right profiled Africa back in the day, the only things that Africans saw when they looked at Africa was war torn areas, was kids suffering from what's a disease, uh, kwashi kwashi ku or uh, kwashi yeah. or something like that. Apologies and for sitting with a fly the on their nose. Yep, flies coming out of their mouth, flies all over their faces, um, dictatorship, authoritarian states, etc., etc., etc. That is the only impression that we had of, South, of, of Africans as South Africa. And I mean, I was 10 years old at the time, and I mean, I used to watch a lot of TV, and my parents used to watch the news all the time. Whenever a picture or an image or a video came up of Africa, it was always the, the worst stereotypes that we have of the African continent. So our influence of how we resonate and how we relate to other Africans was always influenced by, 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 by Western world media. So we kind of had to break away from that narrative because what we were doing then, we were further perpetuating segregation between South Africans 
black South Africans and black South Africans across the, the entire African continent. We almost had this opinion that we were better. And I'm talking about the early, I'm talking about the mid 90s leading up to the year 2000. And obviously a conversation has been extended into modern day South Africa as well. But our understanding of our African brothers was influenced by Western society. And our, our stereotypes and the stigmas that we created around our African brothers was influenced by Western media. So I think as Africans, we were really messed up as a people. I think the post-traumatic stress or the post-traumatic experience that most Africans have gone through, Black Africans across the, uh, the, 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 the Black African landscape, has really, our minds have really been shaped. And, 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 and like Steve Biko said, the most powerful weapon of the oppressor is the mind of the oppressed, you know? Absolutely. So the social psychology is something we really need to unpack as well as a people, because it yeah. also basically creates the segregation and its animosity Absolutely. towards how we appreciate each other's cultures, each other's beliefs, each other's religion as well, because there needs to be tolerance. You cannot have a constitution yeah. Where that, that advocates for all these civil liberties where there's not even tolerance amongst the people then practice those, 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 those civil liberties as well. If my brother's Muslim and I'm Christian or if I'm Hindu, I need to be able to tolerate. And I think that is where we start building unity at the ground level as well. And Mandela did this really, really well. Mandela's focus post-1994 was really to establish unity. And yes, people can speak about the fact that um, you know, maybe we try to romanticize the idea of democracy too much by promoting unity. But unity yeah. worked for us because it created a symbolism that we could identify with as well. You know, rem um, uh, I remember um, that the, the international advertising agency called T TBWA. Yes. They actually became the official advertising agency for the ANC post-1994. Yeah. I think it was 1995, around about there, 1996. But... Mandela actually asked that agency if they can actually assist with uniting the people of South Africa specifically. And they had actually come, well, the advertising agencies in South Africa actually played quite a crucial role in terms of how we identify with each other. So, for example, yeah. the T TBWA came up with that famous song. Well, obviously, you will remember it. I don't know if my, our viewers will remember it. Um, but there was a song back in the day that went, South Africa. We love you, oh, you. Oh, beautiful, oh, beautiful land. land. Let's show the... <laughs> Remember that song? Yeah, I do. That song unified so many South Africans. And people were using communications and creative to reestablish how we identify with each other as South Africans. So yeah. the flag is a, is, 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 is a form of symbolism of how, we, of, of how we unite. You also then had adverts, right? I think it was... Um, what was his name? The Dube Gentleman. He basically, is a, there's an ad of him busy washing a taxi and at the back of the taxi is all these stickers of all our national sporting um, teams. Amaboko Boko, Bafana yeah. Bafana, you know? And, yeah. and I remember him also celebrating. It's like, ah, Amaboko Boko, Stransky, yeah. and, 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 and this was a black man at a taxi rank yeah. promoting rugby in this country. You know, yeah. some, a conversation that we were not really having on the ground itself. And that advert immediately made its way into the media space, especially just pre, just pre the World Cup itself. These were the symbolisms that we used in order to create identity and to unify our people. But again, we did romanticize that identity to say we only exist within the unity of the South African flag of, and of nationalism. But the reality of the matter is that we started slowly also losing our identity as black people as well. You know, we started losing our identity. And, 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 and Thomas, Ankara always, uh, Thomas Ankara always spoke about this. He called it the epistemology. He said that we need yes. to invest in our culture. And I always say this, Africa is a creative. The Western world is looking towards Africa at the moment just for content, digital content. Absolutely. Africa has a great opportunity. I mean, we saw what Nollywood yeah. did for the movie industry. Now imagine Nollywood uh, as a digital platform the amount yeah. of content that can be created within the African context so that we can ensure that we are able then to promote our authenticity and as to control African the people. content and to control and the to content control as well and how content. we influence. Exactly. 100%. Because we cannot influence what we cannot control, to be 100%. If we're not giving the right content, and I'm so, I really, you know, content, localized content for me is so critical 
so that we can stop seeing the hungry child in Ethiopia and Correct. the big, you know, all of those things. But giving the absolute proper content of how things are actually evolving and how things are changing, so that that becomes the narrative on the continent 100%. and not our past. You know? and, 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 and our past has influenced our narrative so much. Um, you know, just to take it back to economic freedom, you know, like I want to work with the, the different themes and kind of keep it thematic a bit. Thanks. I heard about our president speaking about localization of the economy. And there's obviously investing more into the local market and supporting more of the local market. In actual fact, I've taken, I've taken it upon myself to ensure that only 20% of, of, of any item that I buy you know, in terms of my buying power goes to international brands, international products, whatever the case might be. And I want to basically start supporting local, local production, local manufacturing as well, in order for us to support the local business. Thomas Ankara and them did it in Burkina yes. Faso. When yes. Thomas Ankara became, um, when, when he started leading the, 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 the Burkina Faso people, the upright people as they call them, he basically spoke about localization, investing into the local industry, supporting local, buying local, even local suits. Thomas Ankara never wore suits from overseas. He wasn't a bourgeoisie. That. He advocated against yeah. bourgeoisieism. He yeah. also basically, he moved away from this um, oligarchy or this um, oligarchy control of power because our people yeah. are power hungry at this point in time of our lives. So he started moving away from the understanding of how, of how we need to invest. In actual fact, the um, uh, uh, Burkina Faso's economy had increased between, had increased by five to six percent. They had a growth output, economic growth output of five to six percent. And this was in the 80s, something that even the IMF and the World Bank could not explain because even the IMF and the World Bank said, you will need to borrow money from us. And he, was com and he completely disregarded it. And he said that, unfortunately, I, I will invest in my own country. And he invested into his own country. And they had a growth output that. of 5 to 6%. Now, that is what we mean about supporting, I, about having identity and how we self-express as Africans. We can only self-express as Africans when we start consuming our own content. Absolutely. And you know what, Liston, we are so, you know, uh, as we, we preach, we, sh we scream these words, radical economic transformation in 100%. South Africa. We preach um, revitalization of our rural and our township economies. Those are all buzzwords that have been out for the last yes. five years. You and I know it. We work with it. We see it. But in order to truly do that, we need to take the power that we have and redirect it into where we know it's going to make a difference. Now, I'd like Correct. to unpack that. People, you know, the xenophobic attacks of whatever, uh, even when, you know, the, the whole Pakistani stores and all of those types mm. of stuff in our communities. But who's buying from them? Yes. Yes. That, that's yes. what I don't get. You're wanting to burn and do all of that, but we sit with the power. So it's absolutely 200% agree with you when you say you can, you'll allocate 20% of your total power to, to external brands, etc. And you know what? We, we can't get everything here that we need to function on a daily basis. We, mm. But you know what? We, I didn't quantify it, but I'm with you. I believe that 20% is, it's okay. And I've seen that through this time of, um, of, 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 of um, Leslie, and I'm going to answer your question right now. I'm, I'm going to look through just for the question. I, I, you know, for, for me, I've seen the paradigm shift or I've seen a, 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 a revitalization of, lo of local industries that was really rising up in the yes. last few weeks on lockdown. For example, the making of these masks, fruit and veg being delivered mm. pardon me, to your door where you don't have to go to the store Correct. of excellent quality, of excellent mm. quality. And I sincerely hope that as South Africans, we can continue that post lockdown or once we reach level one, etc., so that we Correct. consciously spend where we go. Let us just take some um, questions, um, Liston, before we carry on. I just want to check. There was, uh, okay, everybody's saying Amandla, in, essentially. Um, Amandla. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Um, so Leslie Ann wants to know, how will, we reg how, how will we regulate people's buying power to keep it localized. What, 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 
What do you think that, you know, what regulations could be put in place in order for us to do this? I don't think it's really about regulations that will be put in place because, I'm, like I'm saying, we already have a constitution. I mean, I myself can start, um, if I, I choose that I want to go support a local boutique, it's at my own discretion, you know. The, 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 the economy and the constitution allows you, the, gives you the freedom in order for you to basically have purchasing power anyway. But so, so if the moment you start saying that we will start having regulations, we are going to have a more dogmatic, restrictive approach, unfortunately. And we, and we then need to find out from the president as to how they are planning on rolling out the, 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 the emphasis of basically purchasing local. Because, again, the president did make mention of it. And I don't want to yeah. go too far ahead because, again, um, he will then further elaborate on the matter itself. But here's the point I do want to make. And I think I'll speak from a, a comms and brand point of view because that's my field, you know, that if, if you look at trading in Africa, Africa makes a lot more money trading with each other than what they do trading internationally. If Africans had to basically start trading more within the, the borderlines or, or, or across the borderlines within the African continent, our, 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 our economic growth would far exceed or, or, or by, by at least a proportional margin than what we do from international um, um, uh, purchasing or international trade for that matter. And obviously I'm glad that the African Continental Free Trade Agreement, you know, yeah. starting slowly but surely, you know, but yeah. we are positive. In Africa, we celebrate our progress, you know, because it really is a step Absolutely. in the right direction. Um, but again, we need to keep our governments accountable as well. So the point I'm making is that, in, in, in response to Liz Land's question is that, I think we need to basically start promoting the local economy as individuals. We need to become the brand ambassadors for our local economy. Whenever you go on Instagram, I bet you that almost 80% of the products that our influencers are basically showcasing, 80% um, of the products and, 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 and the wear and tears that our friends on social media are wearing and obviously are displaying, you know, very ostentatiously, uh, if I can call it, that is always western influence designs products whatever the case might be so when it comes to our buying power our buying power is really influenced by what is popular and what is not popular we tend to buy with the eye you know for us it's more about the 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 qualitative value i mean the quantitative value than more of the qualitative value as well because i can take you to a boutique and i can show you a boutique has got better i mean you're really just buying into the brand even louis vuitton came back and said that our brand, our brand equity is just high. That's why our pricing is high. The material that they use is obviously of, of, of a superlative material, you know, and of great quality. But the reality is the reason why we don't purchase locally is because it, 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 it's not as appealing as what the international brands are. And I think that is the biggest challenge. So we can have regulations as much as we possibly can. We can have the, the cloudy Mutsuaneng approach of the 80-20 rule, you know, when it comes to playing local music and international music as well. But here's the reality. These platforms that we are talking via right now, these digital online participatory platforms, these are the pa platforms that influence Absolutely. our buying power as well. So it's really Absolutely. about a conscious decision that we need to take as, as South Africans and Africans about how we want to support the local economy. Because even if we do have regulations as well, people will still want to buy the international brands because why? And from a brand equity point of view, it's quite appealing. And that's the reality. It is appealing because when you wear, when you put on a Gucci sneaker, you feel like you feel like money. You feel like you, you, you've, you've almost given yourself a sense of self-worth. You know, you want to show people that you've got money. You know, you are of value, economic value, if I can put it that way. But for what reason? For what reason exactly? It's purely brand association more than anything else. So what I'm saying in response to Leslie, and I think let us basically start becoming the brand ambassadors for our local industries um, itself. I Sorry, agree. I think I was Thanks. a bit long-winded there. No, 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 not at all. Um, you know what, Leslie, and I see your, your comment about private companies has to be forced to procure local service. I think, you know, there has been that process and we are looking, uh, I'm not sure we're getting it 100% right. Yeah. I'm not, uh, let me not say I'm not sure we're getting it 100% right because this, yeah. this is a free-for-all platform. We're not getting it right. And the no. reason we're not getting it right is because there, there's always, a, a loophole in order to bring my chomi in, you know? Yes. 
my yes, friend, yes. it's okay. We're just going to give equity to so much to, to to the to the to the tea lady, so that our business is complying. And now, you know, the, I, I totally understand that you know we need to have regulation. But how? Do, for me, I'm I'm stressed that we open the the door again. For those types of things, so we need to be very specific in terms of when legislation does get passed um, to support um, local local industries. That we are extremely specific on what is local, you know, all of those types of things. And then also, um, you know, it's, it's the other thing for me that that's concerning um, is that we, you know, sorry, Sharon, you you I lost my train of thought now. The, the concern for me is that we haven't done enough to ready our entrepreneurs. We mm. basically set them up for failure. Correct. And that's very concerning for me. So as much as, you know, they don't have, um, so when we, when we do legislation, it can't just be you must buy from a local person. It must yes. be give deposit. Make mm. sure or open Correct. credit lines or do whatever because they don't have the capacity to scale or to, to take an order on because now you now they're going to take this and there's this purchase order people that fund your purchase yes, order. Yes, but they yes, take yes. 70% of your money. Of your money, correct. So, so more importantly, when we do do regulation about it, we need to take all of the, those things into consideration that, listen, I'm not a trust fund baby. I cannot go and ask my dad, for you know, just a, a little family loan to just buffer this business, and if my client doesn't pay within thirty days, my dad can give me some more. We don't have mm. that. So yes, as yes. much as we are saying that we must buy local, we must make it possible for people to trade. That bottom line for me. I I I fully agree with you. I mean, you know, you know, when we when we are speaking about freedom in this country. And bringing about economic change and economic freedom to all our people, the, the way we can start implementing these changes is really at a policy level as well. So I agree absolutely. with you. Policy is absolutely important in terms of bringing around or, 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 or implementing the structural uh, or systematic changes, you know, when it comes to basically empowering our local economy as well. I mean, I was reading a stat the other day that said that our, 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 our small business sector employs about 60% of our labor force in this country. 60% of our labor force is inspired by the small business sector within this country itself. Your, your, you your connection is, is a little bit bad, Liston. I'm not, I can, you're, you're breaking up a little bit, but I think we get what you're saying. It absolutely does sit at policy level. And I think, you know what, we need to take, and, and, and government needs to, and people as well, entrepreneurs as well. So it's not only, I'm always, I'm always fair when I say this. So mindsets in entrepreneurs also need to change to say, you know what, I am ready to move to the next level. I am going to mm. do whatever it's going to take. I am going to be compliant. Because you know what, how many businesses, I sit online with, with, with 22 on Sloan, with all of those people on a mm. daily basis. And the, peep, the very people that are fighting and screaming are non-compliant. Right? So we Correct. also have a fiduciary responsibility. We also have a responsibility in terms of our businesses and so forth and so on. And we also need to stop in order for us to, to demand and to, and, and, and to be able to move to the next level. We must also change our mindset. So, you know what? And I agree with you, um, Leslie, and local equals a proper 75% BE flow. Again, from a tender perspective in South Africa, me, I would love to see in, in big tender clauses that there is a clause in every tender to say that you will incubate someone in mm. your industry to be able to take over 20 or 30% of that. We don't have that. I sit on many tender adjudication boards. I fight for this all the time to say the tender document must talk to that. So when we're asphalting roads, when we are, there are smaller companies Bigger companies must take the responsibility to incubate and they must be accountable for it. 100%. And, and that is how we're going to, that's how we're going to change things moving forward. No, 100%. Uh, can, so we've can got you hear me three clearly minutes now? left. Um, I can. Okay, perfect. You were saying? No, I'm saying we've got, we've got three minutes left. 
Um, so mm. is there anything in parting that you're wanting to say to us that we haven't touched on? I think we've touched. I'm sure we're going to have to do another live because people are, these hand claps, these aluta continua, so, the struggle I don't, continues. I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm not seeing, I don't know why, but in my side, I'm not seeing all these. You're not um, seeing the comments. Yeah, so so I, I thought for like a split second, like, yo, my conversation must be really boring. Not at nobody's... all. Your conversation's <laughs> amazing. People have been, people have been clapping. You know, people have really been. You know, um, this has really been a, a eye opener. It's it's a good conversation. Um, people have really enjoyed it. It just tells us that we we need a lot more of this. So, yes. um, you know, thank you, listen, for for joining us this evening. It's been real. It has been amazing. You always, you know, it's always encouraging and it's always enlightening to speak to you because you just, you know, you're just so real and you're so knowledgeable and you're so factful. And that's so important. You know, you don't just mm. um, speak because you have, you have a, a hole in your mouth. Um, so <laughs> we definitely will bring you back because there no, is, um, you know, everybody's saying it, it has been informative and we will, sh we will save this live. So, and we also will put it onto our podcast channels um, mm. for everyone so that they can go back to it and listen to it again. And if there are questions, please, guys, come and, you know, DM, slide into our DMs, like they say. Um, you know, I know that, that we're, we're accessible. We're not, we don't divorce ourselves from the communities and you are the community. But most of all, thanks for your support, guys. Listen, parting words. Parting words. Ms. Um, we see you. Ms. Msibi says <laughs> a very powerful and informative session. No, thank you very much, uh, Mr. Msibi. Um, truly appreciate it. I think parting words from my side is that we need to be able to protect our freedom and protect our democracy as well. Um, yes, democracy, there are some inequalities that exist within how capitalist systems work. You know, if you don't have access to um, funds, you cannot access universities. And not everybody will be able to get a scholarship of sort. But we need to protect what we fought for. We need to protect our civil liberties. We need to protect our everyday um, 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 rights that we fought for that is represented in Chapter 2 of the Bill of Rights. The fact that we've got a right to vote, it's not a, it's, that is exactly why our people died for. That is exactly why my great-grandmother and my grandmother and them fought for as well. So all I'm saying is that people of South Africa, you need to understand that. You need to also kind of step up a bit and realize that, again, democracy was not one so that you can be selfishly empowered. You cannot sit on the side and sit on the benches and only criticize everything that is going wrong within this country. Earlier on, I mentioned that our leaders are 65 and up, and that's across the African continent itself. But what I am saying is that in order for you to, you, you are in a participatory government, you have the power to elect.